car, the PAL V flying car. You can buy it now and you get your keys in 2020. So a piece of my presentation was the, fly, the Paul V flying car. I have my photo. Dwayne, you, where's Dwayne? He's working in the, he commented on my Facebook because I have a picture of me. I got, I got photographed with it. The, the other thing I presented, which was really cool, is 3D printing. We're 3D printing titanium manifolds. We're 3D printing metal. And I contracted with a company in Phoenix I said, if I'm going to buy this from you, you've got to let me videotape the whole process. So I did this videotape of the entire 3D printing of metal, of a metal manifold, put it on Movie Maker, reduced it down to a three-minute, and I put it to Imagine Dragons Radioactive, <laughs> right? So imagine this big... Our, our screen at work is the size of that whole wall, so I get the whole wall with video on it. So the whole thing is dubstepped, right, to radioactive, and so you're, you're seeing these flying cars, and you're seeing video of 3D printed manifolds being formed, and it's dubstepping to radioactive, and one of their, their key things is, welcome to the new age, right? Welcome to the new age, welcome to the new age. And I was just, you know, getting, trying to get the uh, employees excited about new technologies. So, so taking that thought now, I'm, I've been reading through Ephesians, and I'm going to rename this book, Welcome to the New Age, because it is a book about the new age in Christ. How many of you have read through Ephesians lately? There's a handful of you. Ephesians is a very powerful book, and it's about Jesus Christ, and it's about what he did, and it's about where we stand. And if I look at, if I look at the book of Ephesians, it's, it's really divided into t in half. You can almost divide it in half. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 is one big subject. Chapter 3, 4, and 5 is in 6. No, 4, 5, and 6 is another subject. So, so it, it's kind of these two sweeping subjects. The first piece is sort of this divine grace. And then the next piece is sort of your human responsibility towards this grace. Right? Or, or it could be our standing in Christ, chapters 1 through 3. And what we need to do about it while we're on earth. But lastly, how about the spiritual richness in Christ and then how we should play out in our behaviors. So, so Chris took three years to go through Matthew. I'm going to go through the whole book of Ephesians in 30 minutes. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm going to just take you through this book and you're just going to get a wonderful flavor of... of the new age in Christ. So let me, first of all, just pray before I get started. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you for this rich book, Ephesians. We thank you for the new age in Christ, and we thank you for the richness of your word, and we just pray that you would open our eyes and get a, get a just, we want to get a glimpse of the strength we have in you, we just pray, I pray that you would strengthen us and enlighten us by the power of your Holy Spirit and that your word would sink into us and we would experience what you mean by the fullness and the richness in Christ. We just uh, lay this time before you in the name of Jesus Christ. So, well, I, I do have... Part of my study is I was studying the, the armor of God, and I just turned to 6, 10, and read through 18, and I wanted to do a study, and I realized I couldn't do the study because I, I didn't know enough coming into Ephesians 6. So I had to go all the way back and start from the beginning and read before I could even really get a context on how to even treat that text. So... My discussion is sort of my journey getting to there. I'm not really going to go into that scripture in too much depth, but I do want to read it to you. 
I want to read to you Ephesians 6.10 because it, it makes up the backdrop and my theme. And Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How I got into Ephesians was I was tracing the word might. It's one of my favorite words. My, I need a God that is mighty, that is above this, that's, that's strong, and that I can rely on, and it's bigger. he's bigger than me. And so I love the word might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all this, stand firm. Isn't that a powerful story? It's not a story, but it's it's a scene, kind of. So so let's go, let's just really go over, I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk you through the first three chapters of Ephesians and and give you some highlights. Then I'm going to go through the second half and pull out some things in a little bit more depth. And um, then, then in the end, I'm going to talk to you, the key points I'm going to talk to you about is our spiritual blessings. I'm going to talk about the great mystery uh, that Paul reveals. Then I'm going to talk about sin. And then I'm going to talk about putting off that sin and then getting to the armor of God. Those are the main components of my talk today. So the first three chapters, um, Paul is declaring the richness we have in Christ. He talks about the riches of his grace. He talks about the riches of his glory. He talks about the riches of his son, the unsearchable riches in Christ. He, it un, he unveils the great mystery never before known in the Old Testament. Paul declares the grace which God lavished on us, securing our salvation. Paul uses in Christ many times. As a matter of fact, the word Christ is used 50 times in Ephesians. I heard MacArthur say the word in Christ was used over 20 times. I didn't search that fact. He talks about our spiritual blessings and the unity Christ has created and the importance of the church and our inheritance. And he just keeps going and going and going. One one key verse that kind of needs to hang with you, Ephesians 3.20, is that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, so the, the, the... the last three chapters, four, five, and six, talk about our responsibility. It gets out of this spiritual blessing and it like gets down to brass tacks. It talks about our human responsibility in many areas of our lives. And then it goes from, so it goes from these spiritual blessings in the heavenlies and then how we need to live. And Paul discusses our new life in Christ and how things play out. He discusses how we should walk. Paul encourages us to walk in love. He has very specific encouragement for husbands and wives and how to behave. He mentions children, how, how children should behave to their parents. He then encourages us to render service with a good will as unto the Lord, sort of in our workplace and things like that. He tells us to put on, put away, no longer walk like the Gentiles, but instead be imitators of God, conform to the image of Christ. I'm going to get into this in more detail. Then he gets to chapter 6 and verse 10, and he says, finally. Finally, and I'm going to give you the punchline of this finally. 
And th this, uh, this, is, um, this is not sanctioned by the church, no, nor did I bounce it off the elders and Chris, so if I'm wrong, then it's my, my bad, and you can fire me. You can reduce my salary. Here's, the here's one of the key punchlines. Our behavior and how we walk in this life is intricately tied to the, our spiritual defenses against the enemy. That's it. That, now, I'm a, that thought I'm going to synthesize, I'm, it's, it's going to come out of this text, but your behavior and how you walk is going to create stronger and stronger defenses against an enemy that's out there in a spiritual realm. Okay, so Ephesians has, Spurgeon Library has a hundred sermons on the book of Ephesians. MacArthur has a hundred sermons on it. That's 200 sermons. There's hundreds and hundreds of sermons on all these topics, and I'm just going to glide through. I wish I had time to read them all, but I've got to be at work at 6 a.m. But, okay, so you got the great divide. So there's this, this great divide of the spiritual blessings and then what we've got to do about it. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exploit a verse. And this verse is chapter 1, verse 3. Th this verse is probably going to unlock the first three chapters if you can answer the question, Right? Here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What word is used three times there? Blessed. So, so in my analytical mind, I can't even move forward because I'm stuck on the phrase every spiritual blessing. What is it? What is it? Part of, um, part of learning is to make sure when you read phrases, you know what it means. If you don't know what it means, stop right there. Stop there before you move forward. What does every spiritual blessing, when, when I say that phrase, what comes to your mind? Every spiritual blessing. What's a spiritual blessing? What's that? Holy Spirit? It's, so, so I'm going to crack this open. You guys all had, had pieces of it. Paul answers this question. You can't. When you read chapters 1 through 3, sometimes your eyes start to cross. Because Paul, Paul is in this praise, he's in this prayer, he's in this doxology. And in, 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 uh, in chapter 3, verses, um, what, what is it? 3 verses 14 through 19, he uses 105 words in one sentence. One sentence. 105 words. I mean, so... I mean, I was having trouble tracking some of this, but I'm going to stick with defining this phrase, every spiritual blessing. And so I'm going to walk you through. There's going to be 12 words I'm going to pull out from these three chapters that are really going to define this. And I want you to just open up your Bibles, get your highlighter out, get your uh, or highlighting digital tool. Verses 1-4... He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day it pours out speech. But you were chosen before he created all of that. How important are you, every one of you, to God right now? It makes you a very special person that he chose you before the foundation of the world. In verse, in verse 4, look at these two words. We are holy and blameless. 
So I come knocking up on your door at home, ring the doorbell, Rich answers. Rich, do you know you're holy and blameless? Holy and blameless. Strong words. You're holy. Keep that thought in your mind. You're holy and blameless. So you're chosen before the foundation of the world. You're holy and you're blameless. This gets better. Verses 1-5, you're adopted. Has anybody gone through the adoption process here? Has anybody adopted? Is it, it's a formal legal um, proceeding, right? It is formal. It's, you, you are really adopted into the kingdom of heaven. It's not some light thing. You are adopted. Verses 1-7, the word redemption is used. This is a really bad slide, but I, I need it right now. In verses 1-7, in him we have redemption through his blood. You are redeemed. You are redeemed. Do you know what redeemed means? It means all your faults are compensated for. Doesn't that sound better than redeem? Redeem is a summary of the fact that all your faults have been compensated for forever. You are redeemed. Jeff, you want to sing that song? I am redeemed. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, saved and sanctified. I am. All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. Verses 1-7 also says, I'm sorry about this slide. Look at this. Forgiveness of our trespasses. You, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been washed away. You are forgiven. Okay? Verses 1-11 says, you've obtained an inheritance. An inheritance, and that, that word inheritance um, goes back to the Hebrew word that ties into I Israel being promised, the, the, the promised land, portions of the land are yours. You have a future inheritance, a place that's for you. Verses 113, 113 You were sealed in him. You are sealed. That, that word comes from the king's ring in the wax seal. It's official, uh, comes official from the king himself. You are sealed. And this is my favorite one, verse 2-6. 2-6, right here and raised us up with him and seated us. Seated us in, with him in the heavenly places. Seated us. That word is so powerful. You know, it's, it, it, it's seated us in the heavenlies. Are you kidding? I mean, Psalm 110 um, Jesus just brought this up in Matthew to the Pharisees when he stumbled them, right? He said, when King David wrote that when my Lord says to, uh, what is it? My Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And the next part of that psalm is... Um, it's something to the effect that uh, you're go forth with your mighty scepter from Zion. And it talks about making your enemies, it talks about overthrowing enemies. And we're seated with him. We're seated with him in, these, in this heavenly place. The, the next verse, 2.18, I'm just giving you a taste here, because I'm going to wrap this, this is all going to come. 2.18, 2.18, you have, we have 
access in one spirit to the Father. So you have complete access to the Father in heaven. 2.19, you're a fellow citizen with the saints. Last word, word 12, you are of God's household. Okay. Every spiritual blessing, I just came up with 12 items that define our spiritual blessings. This is what Paul is saying through these first three chapters, and this is a really important concept. I'm going to go down diagonal like that. Let's just read it together. Can you see this, Sue? So let's read this. Adopted. Every spiritual blessing. That defines you right now. You know, you know what that means? It means you're invincible in the spiritual world. You're invincible. What, if you were going to go charging into a battle and you had the confidence that you are never going to lose, how more courageous would you be? You would be bold as all get out. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. He's saying to us, you have nothing to lose right now. You are in Christ. You are in Christ, and there is nothing that can defeat you in the spiritual world. You have won, okay? You have won, and that's your position. So your confidence coming out of these first three chapters, you have this position in Christ. You need to just concentrate and focus and meditate on that because you will become very, very, you'll become a valiant warrior in the spiritual realm when you have that level of confidence under your belt. Your, what Paul says, and, and now it makes more sense at the, he's sort of ending this subject at the end of chapter three, right? He's saying, Well, I'm saying you're blessed, 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 right? Paul is announcing and declaring the blessings in Christ. And look at he wants you to be strengthened, verses 3.16. He wants you to comprehend this message, 3.18. He wants you to know this, right, 3.19. And he wants you to be filled up with the fullness of God, okay, that, that gives you... Now, you absolutely have to have this position before you move into four, chapters 4 and 5. If you don't have this, if you don't realize this, you're going to go down to the depths because you, you're going to need this, this position and this knowledge in order to weather what he's about to say in 4 and 5. Um, I'm just going to... before. I'm going to talk about sin. There's another big subject he talks about. You know, Paul in, in, um, in uh, chapters 2 and 3 talks, talks about the, the great mystery revealed. And I've got this chart for you. And you go to two, 2.15. I'm going to read you 2.15. Aerospace engineer meets pulpit. 2.15, look it. Here's what he says. He swore, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Okay, so what he's saying here is that, listen, welcome to the new age. 
He's saying, welcome to the new age. And I'm not quoting Imagine Dragons. Look at the, he's, I, I sketched this verse out, right? There's, what's happening is Ephesians is this book that talks about the new age because the old age is closing during this time period. And it closes and a new age launches. And this, this is how, this is my sketch of it. You have two, he says there's two men. One man is the commonwealth of Israel. Covenantal promises, your circumcision, circumcision your temple, and he's saying that this age is coming to an end. And then there's this second man. It's those Gentiles. Those Gentiles, they're strangers. They're uncircumcised. There's no hope. Without God in the world, don't walk as the Gentiles do. He uses this reference all throughout he, Ephesians. Don't walk like them. Right? And so what you have is all of the, the two men, Paul says, have been reconciled through Christ into one man. The old physical temple got, went away, and now there's a new spiritual temple in Christ. We're now all one man, and it's all, Christ is the head of the church. There's a church, the word church is used nine times in this book, to talk about Christ uniting all things to him. And Paul, Paul's talking about the new covenant under Jesus Christ. He's talking about we are now heirs to this, this um, idea. We have access to the Spirit through it. So, so that's the other big piece in, in chapters 2 and 3. It, it, all things are united in Christ, and we're all now... Um, uh, united under Christ. So, so with, with that kind of closing, let, let's move into four and five. So now, now those, those ideas are kind of behind us, and now we're going to go into um, what we're supposed to do about this, right? And so with all the fullness and richness and blessing with your standing in Christ... He then directs his attention to our day-to-day -day walk through this life. It's about putting off and putting on. It's about detachment from the world and attachment to Christ. You get this feeling that these Ephesians are eager for Christ, but still working themselves out of their old life. Right? You've got a pagan world. The scriptures are just being written. You know, how do you behave if you've been a pagan all your life, doing anything you wanted, and now all of a sudden you're in Christ? Now Paul is gently talking about the Ephesians, that you've got to move away from certain behaviors, and you've got to become imitators of Christ. You know, and that's when he, he you know, broad brush, he says, you no longer walk in sensuality and impurity and in greediness. It's a renewal journey. So ma imagine my next slide. You're going to love it. So this is my sin chart. This is my sin chart. There's over a hundred sins. My sin chart. No, I'm gonna, this is not meant to be read because I'm going to have a blow-up on it. <laughs> it's a sin chart. But what, see, what Paul, Paul is going to talk about, he's going to start rattling off the sins, right? But he does this seven times throughout the New Testament. He writes it to the church at Ephesus, but he also writes it to Timothy as pastor, right? He writes it to Timothy twice, he writes it to the church of Galatia. He writes the, sin, the sins to the, to the Corinthians. He writes it in Romans. There's over a hundred sins here. And he's right, and then, so, okay, so in, in science, you, when you're dealing with metadata, what you want to do is kind of use Pareto techniques. So I wrote them out all in sequence. They're in priority, and I circled the top four in all seven cases. And I said, let me analyze really what's being said here. So here, this is the top four, 
of each of the seven sin charts. And we're going to analyze that data. Okay? We're going to analyze that data. The first thing you know is there's, first I'm going to say there's, 20, there's 28 sins, right? For the ones that are in yellow are all sexual immorality, sexual related. 50% of the top four sins in all seven major drafts, drafts are sexually immoral sins. You get an idea of the behaviors that Paul is dealing with back then. Now, now to get a little handle on this, I, I, it's interesting. There's 14 sins related to sexual immorality. And so I always go back to the Greek text because for every one Greek word, there's five or six English words. And you've got to get to the Greek so you can just really nail it. There's only, and of the 14 sexual immoral cases, there's only five Greek words. So I can break those 14 down to five subjects. Okay? He's really talking about five categories. He's to, and, and I will, I'm going to, what's my next slide? Yeah, I'll come to that one. So, so sexual immorality, he's using the word pornos, pornos, porn, pornos. And it's, it has broad implication. The word pornos, when you search it throughout the scriptures, it's a, it's a, there's a scale. It's, uh, the scale starts with if you're being inappropriate to your virgin, you know, you should get married, all the way to, um, you know, blatant encounters of sex outside of marriage. Okay, so when he says, when he uses the word pornos, he, that broad category is sexual immorality. Um, the second category, the list, is what I'll call gay and lesbian homosexuality. It's homosexuality. That's on the top two. There's four words that are used, and I'm gonna, I'll show you what those are. I have to have, there's a table for it, because Paul, he, instead of using one word, he just, he just creates a descriptive sentence of the behavior. Not just one word, he describes the whole thing. So, he, so you won't be mistaken, right? He gives special attention to gay and lesbian behavior. And then he uses the word um, for lasciviousness and wantonness, and I'll talk a little bit about that real quick. Two for adultery, one for impurity. The, and here, this is Lachamphora's translation of these five Greek words. First of all, basically sexual immorality, pornos, is sex outside marriage, okay? Remember, you got the Ephesians. Remember, had, remember your 12 spiritual blessings, right? You are secure in Christ, but oh, you've got to put off some stuff. Okay, Ephesians, you need to put off this, put on that. Put off this, put on that. He's saying put off sexual immorality. What, what do you do about sexual immorality? He says that in... 1 Corinthians 7, 2. Because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. Bottom line. Right? And then uh, King James Version said to avoid fornication. This is the same word used for fornication. The newer text puts sexual immorality. You don't see fornication in the New English translations anymore. But to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So here's the Apostle Paul saying, Ephesians, you've got to put off this behavior and put on, put on marriage. You know, and I had a son that recently got married. And um, one of their here, Ryan and Mariah here, so let's give them a big round of applause. I tried not to profile him because Ryan got Ryan and Haley got married on the same day. Let's give Sherry a big round of applause. Two Ryans got married, and they're actually friends. It's really cool. But in the toast, in, in, uh, we, Kathleen had, and I had an opportunity to give a toast to Ryan and Mariah. And one of my favorite verses that I used was Isaiah 62. And it says, when a, when a young man marries a young woman, 
When a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall the Lord rejoice over them. God uses the, that bridal love, that, that love coming out of the bridal pair, to sh show his love and affection for us as his people. So it's, it's an emblematic Hebrew poetry. He's, he's extolling the rejoicing of, of a married couple, plus he's telling you, I rejoice over that. So you, you get God's rejoicing there. And also Proverbs 11, 18, 22 said, says, when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So who wants favor? Who wants God's rejoicing? Follow the prescription of Apostle Paul, get married. So um, the word... Um, Arsa kote, arson a kotai. Okay, that's sex with the same sex. He uses that Greek word. Alethea, this is, uh, that's sligia, asligia. This is an interesting one. I, I can't put my arms around it, but it has to do with, it's in the category of sexual behavior, but it's outrageous conduct, and it's, Conduct that's shocking to public decency and wantonness and lewdness. It's a word that's, it's all related to just shocking in sex. No, no, one commentator said body gyrations. <laughs> Adultery is simply... Having sex with another person that's not your wife or spouse. And impurity, he uses, catharsis. Catharsis is clean. When you put an A in front of it, it means dirty. I'm not sure what that means. It's dirty, something dirty. But anyway, so, uh, okay. Top, okay, 28. 28 of those words, half of them are related to sexual immorality, and they get this, you know, the, the 14 boil down into these five words. So that, that's what Paul's saying, put off, put off these behaviors. And uh, I did save one, I, had, I said I'm going to show you a table. This is an interesting one, the whole area of, of homosexuality. This is the Greek text right here, and it comes out of 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And you need to kind of see this. There's a couple things to focus in on. I'm going to give you the context. I'm going to show you a matrix. This is the Greek text, and then these are your different translations. This is what it's, how it's translated in your Bible. And it comes out in different ways. You get the detail when you go back to the original language. Or know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, rivalers, extortion, shall inherit the kingdom of God. In this phrase right here, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, is three Greek words. Okay, and it's not one. See, my English standard version, which I'm using right now, just says men who practice homosexuality, right? Who, how many of you have the NASB? I think that, that's the most accurate uh, translation of this verse. Yeah, I use all the versions, right? Because they all sh shed some kind of light. But this is important because what it's, this text is saying is there's an effeminate partner, and um, the, the abusing partner. It's showing a passive and an aggressive, right? That's what the text is saying. It's saying there's two parts. One's passive, one's aggressive. One's effeminate, one's, you know, an abuser. So it's really important that you understand. You're going to see, you know, with the, with the rise of the um, LGBT movement, 
There's books now. I mean, there's a faction of LGBT. Most of them, I don't think, are Christians and don't support the scriptures, but there's a, there's a break-off of them that want to become right, recognized in the church, and the churches are changing doctrine over this. And, and I, I, you know, part of us as elders is to protect the flock here and to protect us from heresy. The, these folks that are promoting uh, gay Christian marriages use the Greek text here. They know these words. They know these words. And let me quote you from Justin Lee's book, Torn, who's trying to restore the debate between gay and Christians. He's trying to just, you know, have a hearty, he's the leader of the Christian gay network, right? Here's what he says about arson akota. He says, was Paul referring to Leviticus? If so, was he intending to refer to the cult position apparently referenced in both both this Romans 1 passage and Leviticus? Or was he using reference to, you know, condemn male-male sex in general? This might mean that Paul invented this word. Paul Paul invented this word, so it's, it's really rare and it's really tied back to, you know, ancient cult practices. Was this, you know, this... What's that, um, how did the devil um, corrupt Eve? Was this really, what's that verse? What is it? Did God really say, did God really say this? Now, now, I mean, the, the reason I bring this up is... This is, we're being attacked. The church is being attacked, and it's being attacked at the Greek word level. Do you know this? How are you going to defend us against this, right? we got to be aware of this. But anyway, I just wanted to let you know that this is a, there's a serious attack, and there's books being written that are retranslating arson akotai, which means... Arson is men, and kotai is lying with, conception, conceiving, bed. Those are the two words. And this is a, a beautiful word because it, it, this shows up all through the Greek text as, you know, Adam lied with Eve, and they're normal words. Arson is man, but when you bring those two together in that sentence. Okay, so enough on that. Let me come to here and just tell you, let me wrap this all up. The idea of putting off. I showed you these sins. God wants these sins put off, right? And he, he, look at what he says all through 4 and 5. 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. 4.14, grow up in all aspects of him. 4.24, put off, put on the new self. 425, therefore laying aside these, these things. 5.1, be imitators of God. 5.22, your former manner of life. 5.22, lay aside your old self. No longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. 5.17, no longer Walk as the Gentiles walk. You didn't learn Christ this way. So, so now, now basically, we're, we're up to chapter 6. That, that, that's the, the emphasis. So remember I told you he wanted to make sure you were secure in your position in Christ, and then he hits you with these, these old ways, and he's encouraged you to put off and put on and be imitators of Christ. Why do we need to put off? Why not walk? Okay, listen. Here's the, here's the equation. I'm concluding that you, all of this is to fortify your defenses against the enemy. The more you put off and the more you put on, you're repelling Satan and his angels. Ephesians 4.20 says, says, give no opportunity to the devil, right? You defeat 
the enterprise of Satan when you engage in the conformance to the life of Christ. You defeat him. And you start to build. Now, now imagine you're, got, you're in Christ, but you've got 102 sins on top of you. And you, you're this little glowing ember, right? You're invincible, but you've got all this stuff laid on you. And you start putting it off one at a time through prayer, through the word, through fellowship. You just start putting off. And then, you know, 25 of the sins come off and you're glowing a little brighter. 50% of the sins come off. You're glowing brighter. And then pretty soon all of it's wiped out and you are like, you've got that, um, like the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got that astro bright glare in the spiritual realm and now you're ready to take on the strongholds the strongholds oh man there's not enough time on the planet there's a verse it's in corinthians do i have it please do i have it for second corinthians 10 2 and 5. Listen to this. For, through, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This this. Okay, so I'm not going to have enough time to go into my original text, but the thing I want to leave you with is there is a spiritual world. There's a, Paul, Paul is, is, wants you to understand that you've been give, given divine armament. And um, I won't be able to... Actually, I've got a slide that I'll summarize all this. I'm going to just... He says, look it. In, in this one word, I'll help you. He says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. He's using, uh, it's panoplian. Panoplian. It's made up of two words. Pan means all, and hoplon is all the armaments of a warrior. It's all of your weaponry. He's saying, take on all the weapons that you have from God. And you, in, in order to deal with this in, in the spiritual world. But I'm, I'm going to tell you that your biggest and most fortifying weapon is you putting off. Putting off. It's, it's not weapons like you think. It's not, you know, uh, Aragorn's sword that you're going to use. It's actually your most, one of your most powerful weapons is putting off sin and conforming to the image of Christ. And it's giving you more spiritual um, clarity, more spiritual power. And then, remember, you are seated in the heavenlies with God, right? It it says um, all authorities, all rulers, cosmic powers of this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, Guess what? They're beneath you because you're seated up with Christ. And Christ has these guys under his foothold. And so you can gain victory in any kind of situation in the spiritual realm. If I can do anything is encourage you to pray with confidence. And you can overcome things that are happening in the physical world through praying in the spirit and praying in the spiritual world. You can be victorious over all of these evils that are coming around and you know what you got to think think a lot of things are happening um, because the ruler of the air is orchestrating it and so you can have um, defense against it and uh, how much time do I have five minutes let, let me just you know quickly go to a prayer you think this is funny right no I'm, you guys don't but Daniel Daniel, in Daniel 10, verses 10 through 14, listen to this. Listen to this. And behold, this is Daniel, 
and, he, and he's going to meet up with Gabriel, one of the archangels. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, the archangel, one of the chief princes of God's army, came to help me. Open up that can of worms, right? Do you, do you realize that there's a spiritual warfare going on? And Gabriel was, was detained 21 days from one of these rulers and authorities and cosmic powers. He was, that, that's kind of a, I'd like to build a whole sermon off that one. But anyway, what Paul is saying is you have defenses uh, against this. And... Um, I'm going to have to end here. I'm going to have to end. But um, this is what, when you get into the armor of God, see, you've, you've got to have all of this backdrop. And so, in, in summary, you, you need to know you're, you're invincible in Christ, and you have the strength and power. Paul wants you to come to this knowledge and this fullness. You, your strength and defenses uh, wreak havoc on the enterprise of Satan. When you're in a growing life conforming to Christ and putting off the old, the old self, and you, you, then Paul goes into tactical methods on, on what to do in the spiritual realm in your prayer life. And so that, that really is the gist. So that, that covers Ephesians. So I'm gonna, let me end in a word of prayer. Ephesians in one day. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We, we, we thank you. It's so rich, and we do want to be filled with your fullness. We do want to recognize how blessed we are in you. But Lord, Father, there is an enemy out there, and you want us to be aware, and you want us to be fully armed to fight in the spiritual realm. And we just pray that you continue to guide us through and teach us how to be imitators of you and how to defend you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.